Hello, Middle Earth Wanderers. I'm doing something a little different today. I'm interviewing Tolkien expert and best-selling fantasy author Paul Jeunesse. I'd like to hear your feedback on this episode. You can drop me a note on Twitter or Instagram, or send me an email using the link in the show notes. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Magavangin, fellow wanderers! Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Middle-Earth Wanderers, to the Lore of the Rings podcast. We have a special treat for you today. I'm here with Paul Jeunesse, who is a number one Amazon best-selling author of Sakura, Intellectual Property, and the best-selling Iron Dragon series, including The Golden Cord, The Dragon Hunters, and The Secret Empire. He has also sold almost 20 short stories and is the writer, director, and producer of the Star Wars rock opera and steampunk rock opera, as well as Han and Kira, a Star Wars story. Wow, those sound like exciting stories. He created and is the editor of the five volumes in the Shared Multiverse Crimson Pact anthology series, featuring over half a million words and several New York Times bestselling authors. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. Tell us your Middle Earth journey. What was your introduction to J.R.R. Tolkien? Apparently, I was four years old and, uh, my my mom's significant other uh, he loved like the hobbit and lord of the rings and for whatever reason i ended up with a little tiny yellow t-shirt with green felt letters on it that said little bilbo and i was four and i was this tiny little kid and i just grew up hearing about middle earth and lord of the rings and it was years before i could read it but i watched the cartoon uh, as, as like a five-year-old and was terrified when the orcs came on and I had to hide under the couch cushion pillows. Is that, uh, is that like the 1970s cartoon? Uh-huh. The yes, I, think, I think we were all terrified of, mm-hmm. of that cartoon. Yep. Hey, I liked it as a little kid. I still think there's cool stuff with it. I have, I have it on vinyl. I have like the record of it. Oh, wow. And, uh, the greatest adventure song. Whenever I go on a long trip, the, mm-hmm the tradition is to like play and sing the greatest adventure song from that as we leave on the long trip. So I'm like yeah, absolutely. an uber, uber nerd. Eventually read Lord of the Rings, Hobbit. So I read the Hobbit like back to back to back, like three times in fourth grade. And then eventually got into Lord of the Rings and just became this like Tolkien nerd 
read all of the ancillary stuff. I, I didn't read it all then. I've kind of read it as, as my life has progressed. Um, but I'm just like a super Tolkien fan and I love Middle Earth and I, I love learning all about the lore. And I'm like the, the Tolkien Middle Earth uh, you like Utah guy. Like they always have me moderate the panels, do the panels. Mm -hmm. I do presentations on Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, the movies. I've interviewed some of the actors, like like uh, Sean Astin who played Sam in the original trilogy. Oh yes, a yes. Bunch of the dwarves. I interviewed John Reese Davies who played Gimli, and I oh, did a wonderful. famous interview with uh, John Reese Davies and his son Gloin. Uh, or sorry, wow. his, his father, excuse me, uh, Groin right. is Gimli's right. father. And then we we did like a hilarious little skit where it was like old Gloin telling Gimli that he can't go on the adventure to the Lonely Mountain because, you know, Gimli was only 65. And right. He, go. he was too young. <laughs> so anyway, that I'm just like a huge nerd and I love Lord of the Rings. And thanks for letting me come on your podcast and talk about the Rings of Power show. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to we're going to talk about uh, Rings of Power here in just a second. But uh, before we move off of Tolkien specifically, um, it was actually one of your panels where where I met you and heard you and and thought to myself, I need to get this guy on my podcast. Uh, just just uh, the way you articulated things. Just loved it. Um, in fact, one of the things you said in your panel at Fanex in Salt Lake City, uh, you were talking about Galadriel and you said something to the effect of and I'm going to paraphrase you here. But you said something to the effect of that you were both humbled and horrified by Tolkien as an author, just his, his ability to create characters on the spot and that sort of thing. Could you tell us a little bit about what humbles you about Tolkien's writing and then why does he horrify you? Yeah, so right before, this is, you know, Fanex 2022. So we've only seen the first five episodes of the Rings of Power show. And right before you heard me and met me, I, I did a presentation. Actually, no, I, did you see the pre? You saw the presentation on Galadriel, or no? I did. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. you did. That's yep. right. That's my, yep. we walked over together. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I did this presentation on the Lady Galadriel, and as I was re researching her, who's she's one of my favorite characters. I just love her so much. I learned that Tolkien had no idea that she was a thing, that she was a character. He did not know of her until right before he wrote her. So he's writing the Moria chapters, the Bridge of Khazad-dûm, fly you fools. He's writing them coming down the mountain afterward. It's super sad. You remember the movies, you haven't read the books, super right. sad, Gandalf mm -hmm. dies. Sorry, spoiler mm -hmm. alert. <laughs> yep. And it's actually quite a bit of writing there between they leave Moria and they get to Lothlorien. We have never even heard her name in the Lord of the Rings movies or the book. At that point, he has not written the name the, the name Galadriel in Lord of the Rings until right before we meet her. So here we go. They show up in Lothlorien. And he's like, oh, I should like the Lord and Lady of Lothlorien. I'm just he's he's a pantser. He invented it on the spot. Right. And he didn't have that name Galadriel. He had a different name, Artanis and Ryan. Re, anyway, I can't Nerwin remember. was one. Yeah. You had no idea. So then Galadriel shows up and he's just totally winging it. And then he creates this amazing character, but at so I'm horrified that he had no pre-planning on this, but mm -hmm. I'm humbled that he could create this amazing character for the moment. And at that moment, he realized, well, he didn't realize at that moment, it took him a while. He figured out that Galadriel was one of the most important characters in Middle-earth and was Sauron's main rival. 
in Middle Earth. It's Sauron yes. versus Galadriel. That's the epic struggle that we see in the Lord of the Rings. And yet he wrote all of that and didn't even know she was a thing. And then he spent 25 years, the last 25 years of his life, retconning. So retroaction, mm -hmm, right. you know, changes to canon, <laughs> which we talked about. Right. Um, retconning her story and coming up with new new versions of it. At first, she was a lowly like Sylvan elf, and then she eventually became a Noldor. And it just it was amazing to see what happened. And he loved Galadriel. He loved yes. her. And I, I don't know. I I'm just. I'm so in awe that at pantsers because I'm not a pantser. I plan things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks yeah. for asking that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's it's a uh, you know I think it was in in Unfinished Tales right where Christopher Tolkien, J.R.R.'s son, said that you know there's no other story more complicated than Killiborn and Galadriel. And even there's a note that uh, Tolkien was was writing in the last month of his life. Again, retconning Galadriel as as you say. Um, so yeah. it's it's clear he struggled with her but loved her at the same time and, and couldn't, couldn't quite grasp the importance of her character. Even up until the last month of his life, he just kind of kept working on that. That's absolutely true. And, you know, she was banned from going back to heaven, the elven lands, the, the, Val, the Valinor, the blessed realm where the elves go and kind of live forever, you know. So she was banned from going back there. And remember, you know, she resists the ring and says, I, I passed the test, you know, right. for thousands of years, literally 7,000 years, she's banned from going back to Valinor, but now she passes the test and the ban is lifted and she can go back. So Tolkien wrote that, that's canon. And then he walked it back for a while. Like there was no <laughs> ban. She just stayed to fight Sauron and there was a ban and there was no ban again. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'm going to read the quote from, from Christopher Tolkien in Unfinished yeah, Tales. Please do. It's really please. short. It's just this. It's in um, the Unfinished Tales, Chapter 4, The History of Galadriel and Celeborn. There is no part of the history of Middle-earth more full of problems than the story of Galadriel and Celeborn. And it must be admitted that there are severe inconsistencies, quote, embedded in the traditions, end quote. Or to look at the matter from another point of view, that the role and importance of Galadriel only emerged slowly and that her story underwent continual refashionings. Continual refashionings. What an understatement, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Galadriel is, is a complicated character, highly important. Tolkien struggled with her. She is now the central figure of the Rings of Power series. And, and as you said before, as of this recording, we've seen five episodes of, of the first season uh, of Rings of Power. She has received, her character has received, received a little bit of criticism, right? Almost as if she's too vengeful, she's too hateful, she's too um, impetuous, perhaps. Uh, I wonder uh, what you think of Galadriel as she's portrayed in Rings of Power and what you think the showrunners are doing with her, with her story arc. First, a couple, like one disclosure. I, I met J.D. Payne, one of the showrunners. J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay are the two showrunners. And I, I got to hang out with J.D. Right. for a day at a convention in, uh, in Provo, Utah, when he came to visit you know, his mother-in-law. Oh, awesome. His mother-in-law and I are friends. Um, I, I think he's a, he's a great man. He's a great person. And his, him and, and Patrick, I think, are really, really good people. Uh, so... I agree in general with how they're portraying her because we've got 50 hours of story. Uh, my quibble 
with Galadriel. And I think that what they've done is, is it's pretty canon, really. Like, there's a lot of canon there. They had to invent mm-hmm. some stuff. But, I mean, she was like right. that. Tolkien wrote that she was prideful. And you, know, you, can, you can see in the text that this is an interpretation that actually works. But where, where I quibble is that they made her just a teeny bit too unlikable in the first five episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. She's for episode four or yeah, four and five. She's there's a few more moments where she's more likable, but they just, they really, I think they went really far. And I wonder if as they were filming it, you know, it's hard. I've been part of some film projects. It's hard to know when you're filming certain scenes, it's like, okay, this is your character. Do this. You got to cut all that together later. And when you cut it all together later, it's like, wow, we went a little far, didn't we? Mm. She was mm-hmm. she was so rude and mean and <laughs> like every scene it's like the same almost you know yeah you know, she's she's just kind of she's a little far so I would have just made her just a teeny bit more likable but here's the deal we're we're five hours into fifty hours Galadriel's yes. going to live to be eight thousand years old and she's right. going to have a story arc she's going to become the Galadriel we see in Fellowship of the Ring it's going to be awesome but right now you know she's pissed off and. When I analyze what really went down with her character in canon, she's broken. She's incredibly broken. Mm -hmm. She has four brothers. She has a family. She has friends. They all are gone or dead. And she's the only one left. So I see her in the show as as an incredibly traumatized, broken, rage-filled character that is is not in her, in her right mind. She's, she's really not. And what a horrific moment, like time for her to be alive because she knows, she knows that Sauron is coming back and that, that things are going to become so bad. I mean, there's going to yes. be another massive war. It's not over. And everybody around her is elf explaining to her, Elrond, Gilgalad. <laughs> right. It's like their version of mansplaining. Mm-hmm. Stupid Elrond is like so much younger than her, and he's like, "But listen, this is how it is in the show. Yeah. You gotta put up your sword. Put up yeah. your sword. <laughs> Do something. I mean, that's that's just so condescending. So, right. But anyway, it's been it's been for me. I love Gladriel. I love Morfid Clark. I think she's great. She really she, is. Yeah, she's doing a great job. She's powerful. She's strong. You know, but you know, the director and the writers, I think, just went just a teeny bit too far. And we needed to see a couple of moments where we loved her. Just, just a little something. Just something, like, yeah. Oh, you recognize that you're crazy right now. <laughs> right. Anyway, right. there you go. Yeah, I like that you say that she is sort of this broken and traumatized character because, and, and she kind of says that in, what was that, the first or second episode when she's talking with Elrond and she says, you, haven't, you have not seen what I have seen. You know, that line for me, when I saw that in the trailer, I was like, oh yeah, like, Nobody has seen what Gladriel's seen. She's seen all of her brothers die. One of them dies in the dungeons of Sauron, right? Defending Baron. Our, uh, our listeners know that tale very well. Um, she's seen all of the major battles of the First Age. But even before that, she saw the light of the trees. And she saw the darkness afterwards, right? Like, she was there. She experienced that. And for, for Gilgalad and Elrond to discount, you know, sort of her experience all through the first stage, I think, I think is a major mistake on, on their part. Um, but I love oh, yeah. how you're saying that she is just sort of this broken, traumatized person just trying to struggle through Middle Earth. 
Also, she should be the dang queen of the elves, okay? <laughs> Gil Gallet right. is, is in line for the throne. He was in that family. Her uncle's family mm-hmm. is really like, they're, they're the, the kings, really, and the queens, all right? So she's the youngest child in like the second brother, third brother. I can't, I'm, I'm spacing yep. right The now. youngest I mean, child of the youngest brother, yeah. It's like, and she's, uh, Tolkien wrote that she is the, the most powerful and greatest elf ever, except for Fanor. So she's far above... Gil-galad and Elrond and 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 Glorfindel and and, and Círdan and every other elf that you've heard of. Okay, Thranduil, Legolas, she is above all of them. She's not the queen. She's not in charge. She's got to mm-hmm. listen to this young pup Elrond, who she probably changed some some of his diapers. No, <laughs> she probably didn't. But we, maybe who knows? Who knows? Gil-galad was a baby. She he was a baby. She could have definitely changed his diapers. Yep. Okay. And yep. yet they're not listening to her. And what power does Galadriel have? She can see the future. She yes. knows yep. what's going down. Her brother Finrod, who we saw in the Rings of Power, he was the mm-hmm. dead elf with the, um, the claw mark on his arm and then Sauron's map of middle of uh, Mordor. Go to Mordor. Yeah. You know, like... Can you imagine being her? You're the smartest, wisest, oldest, except for Kyrdan, elf in Middle Earth, and you're relegated to what? So you can you can right. canonically fight about her role in the Second Age because Tolkien didn't write it down. He started to kind of write it down, but mm-hmm. she never really attained this like power in the Second Age where we would have said, oh, that's BS that Gil-galad's telling her what to do. But I would I would uh, hazard a guess right now, five episodes into the show, that Sauron has already influenced Gilgalad, and he tried to get rid of her by sending her to the west, by sending her to Valinor, the Blessed Realm, on the ship, because he knew he had to get rid of her. Yeah, I think Sauron's already working um, on the Elf Council. Remember the line: uh, "Only Elf lords can be present." Lord right. Elrond. Elf lords oh, only. Oh come on. <laughs> He's the original elf lord. He's a yeah. royal family. Elrond right. is in the royal family. He's he's half elven. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, and I wondered if when she, when she says that line, he, she uh, to me at my ears at least, I hear she says elf lords only, like emphasis on elf, as in Elrond. Sorry, you're half elven, right? right? Your dad's just you know the lowly Eärendil, right? Who went and convinced the Valar to overcome Morgoth, but you know you can't come to the council. <laughs> yeah, that, that that to me was like you know what. Uh, Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, Gifts, aka Sauron, has been in. Is there? Maybe he's there. Maybe right. he's influencing them. I don't know. I, I could be. I could be wrong on that. But I think. I think there's more to it. And when we look back, there's going to be all these foreshadowings that we weren't right. sure about. Anyway, Galadriel. I think. I think it's all going to be fine. If you're worried about Galadriel on the show, I think it's all going to work out. I think Morfid Clark is is amazing. She's powerful. She's strong. Yes. She's going to carry this torch that we want her to carry and become the Lady Galadriel that, that a lot of us imagined. Let's back up a little bit from Galadriel and talk about the Rings of Power show as a whole. Um, it's received a lot of criticisms, and yet I've also heard a lot of really good things, right? And, and I've got my good and my bad things about it as well. What do you feel like the showrunners are getting right with Rings of Power? And what do you feel they're getting wrong with Rings of Power as a whole? I mean, 
the one big knock I've already mentioned is it just just Galadriel just being a little bit too unlikable. Aside from that, uh, I think they're doing a fantastic job. This is Middle Earth. Like this, this is totally Middle Earth. This is Tolkien. This is how Tolkien tells stories. You know, they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion or the First Age, so they have to kind right. of they have to do a few things and I dance it, around that a bit. Yeah, they got to dance around it, and it would be boring if Galadriel is sitting there in a beautiful Elven Grove, and they're like, "Okay, we want you to go into the West, and you know, leave right. Middle Earth," and she's like, "Nah, uh, I'm gonna just stay here for like six thousand more years. Like, I'm cool." Like that's mm-hmm. boring. So, you know, they're creating these pretty exciting, interesting scenes. I mean, when she was on the ship going to Valinor, standing at the front of the ship, I was like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> no. And then she jumps off the ship. I mean, that was surprising. And she touched the darkness. You know, she jumped into the water. You know, she's, mm-hmm. I think they're doing a lot of really, really good things. We can quibble with whatever. This is not a book. This is not literature. This is a series on a, this is a TV show, but it's really, it's not even a TV show. This is something we've never seen before. This budget with, with 50 hours, how many 50 hour movies have you ever seen? Zero. Yeah, there are no not, right? 50 hour movies. <laughs> even extended, extended edition of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings altogether. What is that? I don't know, 25, 30, we, 30 hours we got, maybe? We got 12 and a half, close to 13 hours for Lord of the Rings. I don't know what The Hobbit extended editions add up to but that's still i mean it's now nowhere even near 12 hours is nothing close to to 20 you know to 50 hours so they're they're doing what good writers do and i think they're very good writers and if you want to quibble that's fine we all have our own opinions it's totally cool as a writer myself who understands character development what, what what they're doing in season one is called character development you know, mm-hmm. when, when the character in the beginning of the movie just dies immediately and you don't know who they are, you could care less. Right. You don't right. know who they, you don't know them. You don't know their backstory. What, what, what you want is to characterize them in such a way that when really horrible things happen to them later, you care about them. So the writers are showing us Galadriel and Halbrand and the, the people of Numenor, and they're showing us who they are as people, you know, we have to choose how we're going to be, Lady Mir- uh, Queen Muriel said. Now the Harfoots too. This is, I think, I think a lot of people are up in arms about the Harfoots. I think it's they're, I think it's amazing. Do I yeah. hate that Sadok and company are like going to take the wheels off the yeah. car and leave, leave them, behind? them behind? Yeah, that's cruel, but that's pretty harsh. Yeah, I mean, let's imagine society. 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty rough right. to survive. You had to leave some people behind to survive. You probably mm-hmm. did. And the little tiny Harfoots, I mean, I'm not going to go overboard and say that, I, that, uh, there, that it's a terrible idea to do that. Why not? Sure. It's, it's drama. It's exciting. And look at who we're getting. Poppy and mm-hmm. Nori, they're amazing. I mean, yeah. get off my lawn if you don't think they're <laughs> if they're not amazing characters. Those are amazing characters. That's female Frodo and Sam right there, all right. the way to Mount Doom. Okay, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. them. I think it's brilliant, and we're getting to see these primitive hobbits, Harfoots, and it's magic. It's magic. I love it. Yeah, Southlands, yeah. pretty interesting stuff going on there too. Uh, it's not 
there's not any sources on that, right? Arendir, mm-hmm. again, I'm sorry. If you don't think Arendir is not the most elf elf you've ever seen, also get off my lawn. He's, yeah. he's crying when he's got to cut down a tree. Mm-hmm. Right. This is Tolkien. Yep. This is perfect Tolkien. The writers of the show, no, no Tolkien better. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say 90% of the yokels posting on YouTube and, and Facebook and whatever. Okay. The writers know Tolkien and Middle Earth better than I do, better than most everybody does. So yeah, we're, we're going to not love every little choice that they make, but I got to tell you, we're seeing Tolkien and I'm not going to mention the stranger yet until you bring it up. Yes. Oh, we'll, we'll get to the stranger in just a second. <laughs> in just a second. But I, I love what you're saying. You're kind of walking through sort of each of those races. And one of the things that I thought was just really fascinating was we're seeing these races in the second age of Middle Earth. We're so used to seeing them in the third age of Middle Earth. Well, how are these races portrayed in the third age? Well, we see dwarves who have fallen from their pinnacle, right? Kazaduma was their pinnacle. And now they're, they're fallen. We've seen men, Numenor was their pinnacle, and now that they've fallen. Um, elves are just on this slow, dwindling decline, you know, ever since the first age. But the hobbits are sitting pretty, you know, they're in the Shire, they're comfortable, they're fat and lazy. Uh, they won't go on an adventure without their handkerchiefs, right? But, but what the Rings of Power has done is it's sort of flipped everything. It's flipped the script, right? No longer are hobbits, you know, sitting by the hearth in their cozy Shire ho- hobbit holes. They're out wandering the world and they're afraid of everything. A- anything can kill you, right? As, as Nori said to the, to the stranger, right? Anything can kill you. The dwarves, no, these are not the dwarves who are trying to reclaim, you know, their, their home. These are the dwarves at the pinnacle of their power, right? Discovering Mithril. Khazad-dûm is, is the gem of the dwarven kingdoms. You know, Numenor is the pinnacle. Elves are, elves are still there, right? There's more elves there than there were in the third age. So, I just it's this really fantastic inverse of what we're seeing, even among the orcs, right? The, we see the orcs in the third age. We have the powerful Urukai, right, who can run in the sun and they don't even need to, don't even take breaks. But now we've got orcs in the second age in Rings of Power who we can't, we can't be out in the sun. We have to build these tunnels. You know, we're we're, we're sort of scattered, divided, leaderless, if I may say so. Um, and and it's just that inverse. I think it's just really been a fantastic. Um, it's just kind of blown my mind seeing how all of these races are just different in the second age than what they are in the third age i love that yeah they it's totally flipping the script and showing where they were and and where they're going to go and about the dwarves you you recall from the rings of power panel at fanx 2022 all of us panelists said the dwarves were the coolest thing about the show yeah i'm Mm -hmm. this huge fan of of dwarves in my iron dragon series it's like dwarves are some of the main characters i love dwarves like so much this everything with Prince Durin and Casa Doom, and I love it. It's the mm-hmm. best, mm-hmm. you know. And one of our, uh, our the moderator for our panel, you know, basically said, you know, we instead of the the dwarves being just burp and fart jokes or whatever, they've become this cool nuanced race, like Tolkien wrote right. in Fellowship of the Ring. You know, Peter mm-hmm. Jackson. I love Peter Jackson. Fellowship is my favorite movie of all time. You know, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think is the greatest fantasy trilogy of all time. It's the most awarded film franchise in history. Return of the Kings won more awards than anything else. So they're truly great movies. And Peter Jackson, you know, he, he's the man. He had four years to prep and it showed. Yep. But he did make Gimli kind of just the comic relief. Well, Rings of yep. Power has taken that back. Like we're not, they're not comic relief. They're an amazing, deep, 
deep. I didn't mean to make a pun, but super <laughs> cool race that should be admired. And we are finally getting to see it. And Disa, she's great. And yes. she does have stubble on her chin. Even if <laughs> just a little bit, just it. a bit. You got to look close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that you see, you know, the, these dwarves, how they're being portrayed, they're kind of giving their, their, their due attention as needed, you know, as a complicated race, you know, you see them in the first age in the Silmarillion for those who've read that or listened to this podcast. Uh, and they're really complicated. And when you read some of the passages of Gimli speaking in the Lord of the Rings books, it's like, Whoa, like, this is a talented gentlemanly orator. Like he is Gimli. Just some of the things he says, how he describes the, the glittering caves at Helm's deep and how he talks about Galadriel and her hair. It's just like, wow, this is a very articulate, very soft, tender uh, dwarf, right? That, that we just, uh, I love that we're seeing them portrayed in a more nuanced way in, in rings of power. Um, and speaking of the dwarves, you brought up an interesting theory about the double Durins, right? Uh, there's been some yeah. criticisms thrown out there around there. Um, I'd love to hear your theory. Now, keep in mind, listeners, we've only seen five episodes of Rings of Power so far, so we don't know what's coming in six, seven, or eight or in the future. Uh, but, Paul, I'd love to hear, again, your theory on the double Durins. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Dwarven lore, it's said that the first dwarf who awoke was, was Durin the First. And, and he founded, he was the, you know, kind of the father of their race, basically. When he passed away, he reincarnates back into another dwarf. And there's never two Durins alive at the same time. So a dwarf is born, and then eventually they realize that they're a Durin that they've come back, that during the first has come back or during the second, whatever. It's never, it's never exactly detailed mm -hmm. what that means. It's just they're reincarnated. The word reincarnation is used and that they can, they can communicate with the past Durans. So what the showrunners have done, I think, is they're showing us the movie The Sixth Sense, <laughs> where Prince Duran goes and talks to his father, who is dead, who has long been dead. Rewatch the first few episodes. There's never any interaction with other dwarfs. He's alone with him in, in some room. The one scene with the throne, yeah. it's really creepy. They never really look mm -hmm. at each other. And it's the most tender, cool scene. And do you remember the speech that Elrond gives him when he's talking about, oh, I talked to my father and he's so hard headed or whatever. Right. And then Elrond is like, look, my dad like convinced the gods to come and save the world. And every day I just wish that I could talk to him. So count your blessings that you can talk to your father. And he kind of gives him the look. Elrond is saying that your father's dead, my father's dead, but you can talk to yours. And I wish I could talk to mine. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see that revealed later in this season. It's going it's to be amazing. Yeah. We touched on this before. Who is the stranger? Well, the stranger is a fascinating character. And 
Uh, I have a theory at, we may never know the name of the stranger in this entire 50 hour show. Uh, and it's, it's possible that there will be a reveal, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the showrunners to just leave that mystery hanging out there. But I, I will, yep. I will say this, there is a Maiar spirit uh, who lives in Valinorn and he is called Olorin and Olorin is a fire spirit, a fire spirit uh, similar to Sauron, who's also a fire spirit. And this fire spirit, Olorin, moved among the elves in Valinor without them knowing for a long time. That's canon. Yep. So they didn't know that mm -hmm. he was there. And then in the second, or sorry, in the third age, Olorin, Radagast, uh, I'm not using his name. I can't think of his name right now. But the three wizards we know, Saruman, right. Gandalf, <laughs> and Radagast, show up in Middle-earth in the third age. And Olorin eventually is called Gandalf and Mithrandir and whatever else, the gray pilgrim. Mm -hmm. But he moved amongst the elves unknowns to them. I think that's the, some, it's a sentence like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. I think it's can... Gandalf. Gandalf has come. The gods sent him. They sent him at a very critical moment in time. And guess what? It's canon that the man in the moon came down and hung out with the hobbits. Mm -hmm. Frodo sings the song about the man in the moon. Mm -hmm. I think this is the man in the moon. In episode mm -hmm. five of Rings of Power, there's a scene where Eleanor, Nori, looks out and there he is, the stranger dressed in gray, looking up at the moon. And she thinks, oh, he's from the moon. Yeah. He's the man in the moon. The camera pans up and focuses right there on the moon before it goes to the, his crater. Yeah. There's all the there's all the other little hints that it's Gandalf, and gosh, wouldn't it be great if it was? I mean, yeah. let's let's just think about okay. So <laughs> fandoms losing their minds for whatever reason that it could be Gandalf because it's not he's not there. Tolkien never said he wasn't there. Yep, he never said he yep. wasn't there. It's true. Yeah, uh, we we have almost nothing for the Second Age. Would it not be amazing if this is where Gandalf fell in love with the hobbits? And, and I, I and, think it's him. You know, that was one of the earliest theories. You know, people were just kind of throwing stuff out. Um, I actually personally, I haven't quite bought into any one of the half a dozen or so theories that I've that I've mm -hmm. heard out there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I'm beginning more and more to think, yeah, maybe this is maybe this is Gandalf. I'm, that's the one theory that I'm starting to lean more towards a little bit. But but just to be clear, I, I, on this podcast, we talked a little bit about the creation of the moon from was it the, the leaf or the fruit of Telperion, the silver tree that was in Valinor? And, and one of the male Maiar spirits was sort of chosen to pilot the moon. Are you saying that the man of the moon is, is Gandalf, is Olorin? Or, or are, are you seeing two distinct beings there that the man of the moon was this other Maiar? I can't remember his name. Um, no, okay, well, or, okay, no. so, okay, so ba basically in Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo sings a song about the man mm -hmm. in the moon. That's right. all I'm talking about. There's, a, okay. there's an old yep. Hobbit legend about the man in the moon who came down. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what we're seeing. And I yeah. think okay. that the showrunners who know the lore and know Middle Earth better than you or I or 90, probably 5% of the people out there thought, huh, wouldn't that be cool if we explored this man in the moon idea 
-hmm. And it was like, if it's a man in the moon, he comes down that, how would he come down? Well, he's a falling star. Oh, he's a meteor. I mean, I'm just sitting in right. the writer's room with them five years ago in my mind, thinking right. how they would have come up with this. And they're thinking, what characters can we get into this show that are going to be amazing? What if we had Gandalf with the first Hobbits? That would be amazing. Mm -hmm. We're setting up why Gandalf just keeps coming back. The gods know that Frodo and Sam are going to take the ring to Mordor. So right. they know this. They knew this for a long time ago. God, mm -hmm. Eru Iluvatar, knows this. Yep. Okay, so the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Valar know it. So guess what? The Harfoots need to survive. Yes. <laughs> they got to make Poppy, it through. They need to make it. Mm -hmm. Gandalf fights off some wargs and saves the Harfoot race. Okay. Nori and Poppy probably have children someday and maybe they become Sam and Frodo's lines, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at. Gandalf is sent there and, and, and Nori says it. This, this was meant to be like, I was meant to find him. Yeah. I know I was mm -hmm. like the gods are just lining all this up. The gods lined up Galad uh, Galadriel and Halbrand and Numenor. Mm -hmm. This is the gods trying to influence middle earth in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know Gandalf is, is fond of saying, right. A chance meeting, right. And there, that there's some, some fun definitions of of how Gandalf is using the word chance, right? But it but it's almost like, yeah, there's there is a there is a good power, there is a good will at at work here, who's sort of orchestrating these uh, these these good characters and helping them to progress progress forward. Paul, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have one final question for you, and and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the showrunners are relatively unknown. Right. Or, or at least they've just been uncredited. Right. Because of different movie rules and that sort of thing. And you did mention that, that you've met one of them. Tell us a little bit about yeah. why you trust the showrunners. OK, here's the deal. So J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, they're a writing team. They met uh, a long time ago and have been really, really good friends. And they went out to Hollywood to try to make it. And uh, generally. People like them work in writers rooms. And you can only credit, you know, two or three writers. There's 10 people in the writer's room. They worked on all of these projects. They worked on some Star Trek projects. The first thing that they did was this mm -hmm. script called Goliath. And it was amazing. And everybody was buzzing about it in Hollywood. It hasn't been made yet. I bet you it gets made someday uh, if they're still into it, you know. But point is, they, they made a name for themselves. And then big time people... Maybe you've heard of J.J. Abrams. Yep, just a little J. bit. J.J. Abrams uh, loved them, thought they were amazing, and had them working on on some of his projects. So yeah, they don't their names not out there in lights, but they they've worked on a whole bunch of projects behind the scenes and proved that they were really good. Now running a show like this, well, that's that's a bit of a stretch, but you know they have producer help, they have other help. But um, Amazon asked for pitches, okay? They asked, they asked uh, for pitches and everybody who had an inclination pitched. J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay had the best pitch and had the best knowledge of Middle yeah. Earth and Lord of the Rings out of anyone in Hollywood. They talked to everybody, okay? Their ideas for the show 
we're better than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see that as the season progresses, that they have something there. So they're very honorable people. They do not have a giant track record, but we needed somebody like them to do this show who's going to dedicate their entire life to this show for years. This has been going on. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, you, you can't get Peter Jackson to put this kind of effort in at this stage of the game. I don't think he's, he's been there, done that he's burned. Mm-hmm. You know, he's working, he's worked the 120 hour weeks. Yep. Okay. Yep. And we've seen his vision already. Yep. We have, and they're nodding to his vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, after me, I haven't met Patrick McKay, but after meeting JD and interacting with, you know, people close to him, I think that we're in good hands and yeah, they haven't silenced all the doubters yet, but we're like five hours in. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're yep. five hours in and We've got some amazing characters, some amazing performances, some brilliant actors. The fact that they cast these actors shows that they know what they're doing. The Tolkien estate has veto power over a lot. The the Tolkien estate said you will not deviate from these major events in the Second Age, and they're not going to. So I, I have faith, and I'm a writer. I see what they're doing. I can quibble with a few things, but overall, I think they're doing a great job. And can't we just enjoy anymore? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just enjoy and not criticize. Do we yeah, have to and- pee in our own Cheerios? Do we have to? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to eat it. Don't pee yep. in it. Let's just yeah, try to have just a enjoy bit of an open mind and maybe realize yep. that there are people who know more about Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings than you do. Mm-hmm. And before you slam it, maybe you should do a little research. But God, I want to I want to invite everybody who hasn't, you know, really gotten into the lore. Go out there and read some stuff. Read the Wikipedia, you know, read the the Tolkien Gateway stuff. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. accessible. You don't have to read the Silmarillion. Read some of the wiki sites and you'll be like, oh, wow, that was kind of in the show. You know, you're yeah. going to realize the connections. Paul, thank you for that. I know my own journey with Rings of Power has been a bit of a roller coaster, but uh, but. Um, I, I try to take the attitude that Sam, as he's portrayed in, in, I think it's, I don't know, the two towers, right? That when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. And I'm like, I, I have faith. I have hope uh, in, in, in these showrunners that uh, what they're doing is, is going to be genius. And um, I, I mean, I love Tolkien's world, so I'm going to enjoy Rings of Power and, and try to hold whatever criticism I have until sort of I've, I've seen the end of their vision, at least and see are those criticisms are they legit or or uh was i wrong and and i just need to trust the showrunners all along my friends if you enjoyed this episode let me know by subscribing leaving a review and sharing with your friends follow me on facebook or instagram at lore of the rings podcast For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.